raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Ding dong, Avon is calling. No, that is not Avon. That is the Indiana Outdoor Show music. This ding dong, the host, Brian Pointer, is here with you. As always, each and every week, I can't thank you enough for being a part of what is now going to be our 25th year. And I don't take that lightly as this has been a great joy and privilege for me. And we've covered an awful lot of ground over these years. And one of my favorite parts of the year has been covering the Boat Sport and Travel Show, kind of looking forward to the highlight of the winter. I don't know what it is about that show, but there's a lot of folks, my generation especially, who have grown up with that show and watched it evolve. And it's practically no longer a one-day event. You have to plan. You have to know uh, it's 700,000 feet of space in multiple buildings. And we are going to be talking about that show with third generation Renfro family, friend of mine, Mitch Renfro, who has welcomed a new baby, now fourth generation. Don't think we're not going to talk about that. Beautiful baby girl. Congratulations to Mitch and his wife. But we're going to be talking to Mitch about the history of the Boat Sport and Travel Show and what his perspective as third generation leadership is like. He is responsible for the Deer Turkey Waterfowl, which is the second weekend, the show within a show, the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. So I look forward, as always, to talking to anybody from Renfro Productions, especially Mitch. Uh, Susie Jordan is going to join us. She is, as you know, Hoosiers Feeding the Hungry, and it's never too late to remember that they need this this meat, if you will, in these local uh, communities. And we're going to talk about some expanded initiatives with Susie and kind of do a little wrap up, if you will. Ben Dickinson is the Lake Michigan fisheries biologist. Will you believe this or not? The Burbot record has fallen now for the third time. And I think like a year, and we're going to confirm this with him, but a massive burbot was taken out of Lake Michigan. What's a burbot? We're going to find out. Why is that important? We're going to find out. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host. Stick around for another great one. We're going to be back right after this. It is Indiana Outdoor Show, and I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you. Here we are. I can't believe we're already at the 20th of January. You know, the first couple weeks just kind of roll by. Everybody comes back out of their slumber, and we are sliding strong into 2024. But it's an exciting time, as we've been talking about and previewing here since the first of the year. 
the show season. We got the shot show out in Las Vegas. We got the regional shows around the Midwest. You've got the Cincinnati show that's uh, now part of the Renfro Family Productions. And of course, the granddaddy of them all. The Boat, Sport, and Travel Show coming up here where we are going to once again be out helping them with some uh, broadcasting and and, uh, adding to the client experience. Those that buy the tickets to come out and experience a great Boat, Sport, and Travel Show and the Deer Turkey Waterfowl. Joining me is Mitch Renfro. Mitch, it's always great to visit with you and anybody at Renfro Productions, but it's not like you guys have anything going on for the next three weeks, so it's, I'm not surprising that you can give me an unlimited amount of time. <laughs> hey, Brian, it's good to have, be back on here. Thanks for having us, and uh, always good talking with you. But, yeah, this time of year, is it, it's uh, the great thing about it is it makes winter go by really quick. It does indeed. And for those that may not be, and I don't know what cave or rock you've been living under, but explain the history as best you can. You're now third generation in Renfro Productions and explain kind of the history generally, as long as you can remember back. How did this thing all get started? I remember when I was a little guy 40 years ago and uh, going to those big, uh, you know, they'd close the Coliseum floor and people would come up and do shows and it was a much more limited uh, floor plan. And now this thing has expanded into become the largest sports show of its kind. And you have to be proud of that because you've seen it all unfold. But for those that aren't familiar with the Renfro Legacy, explain. Yeah, absolutely. So my grandpa actually, you know, he took over the shows. The, the show was around before my grandpa. My grandpa was actually helping with uh, sales at the time. And then that's when uh, the explosion happened at the fairgrounds, actually. I think it was during an ice skating event. And um, that opened the door. Uh, the guy who was running the show before um, wanted out and uh, offered the show to my grandpa. My grandpa, who didn't have two nickels to rub together at the time, um, was able to scrounge up a loan from the cheese curd guy at the state fair, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, That's outstanding. That's I whole, did, yeah. I did not know that. <laughs> Yep. So uh, the, we, uh, and then that's how our family business started was because the cheese curd guy had some extra change in his pocket. And uh, so I have a lot to owe to that. I don't know. I forget his name, but I owe a lot to him. <laughs> and you became a fan of cheese curds. Oh, I've always been a fan of cheese curds. God, who, who is? And I don't trust you if you're not a fan of cheese curds. Exactly. <laughs> so I did not know that, but here you are predating even Mitch Renfro being on this planet. Things were set in stage. And now all these years later, you are in charge of a significant portion, along with your family, of making mm-hmm. this show bigger, better, and better. And then, of course, recently, uh, the acquisition of the Cincinnati show, which is being completely rebranded as another quality Renfro uh, event. You've had unprecedented growth, but it's such pressure to keep making these things relevant to the folks and spending their dollars and for you to sell tickets. How do you do that? No, absolutely, and that's a great point. These shows take a lot of work, um, and that's what we love to do. It's in our blood. I grew up doing it with my dad from a young age. I would go to the shows with my dad every single time I could. Um, so I grew up loving this industry, and, and and one of the best things about it is, you know, the people we deal with, the people I talk to majority of the day are all business owners. So I get the pleasure of talking to people who are just passionate about what they do. Um, they put everything in it, in it. They're family-owned businesses for the most part. And, you know, it's important to us, you know, when you talk to these people and see how much these shows mean to them, it gives us that kind of fire 
to make sure that we do the best we can for them. And, and with the internet coming on, you know, through in the early 2000s and now that's definitely shaped the show um, and how we do things and approach things. But at the end of the day, people still want to come out. They want to meet people face to face. And it's about, you know, moving along with the times. And uh, these shows are important to uh, just our regular, uh, just our people coming out. I mean, people want to go out um, and spend a weekend looking at boats and RVs. And then maybe sometimes the best thing about it, you might not even think you are the market or you might not think, oh, it's not possible. But you talk to a sales guy and realize, you know what, actually, this is doable. And next thing you know, you're walking out there with the boat. And then the memories that come after that with your family are priceless. Boy, I tell you, let's hover right there for a second, because the memories that you guys create, not many times, I've been to a lot of concerts, I've been to a lot of venues, I've been to a lot of shows, I've been to trade shows, I've been to organizational things as it pertains to my career. You don't remember those, but I can remember the things about the boat sport and travel show. I remember being, it was cold outside and you walk in and you smell concessions and you see people walking around enjoying a winter evening. I remember Mm -hmm. people wrestling live bears and log rolling and cowboy action shooting stuff. And people would assemble, the lights would come down, all activity in the, the travel and tourism that that time that was in the Coliseum, it was, there was a show and it was produced and everybody was happy and, I mean, I remember those things. I can't remember my kid's birthday. So don't take lightly what what you guys do. And I know things have changed, and you've continually made shows within shows, but that's just all part of it. 100%. You nailed it on the head there because it is more than just walking around looking at that boost because that's definitely part of it. But we also want something for the family to do and create those memories. That's why we have those stage shows, you know, the dock diving dogs always a crowd favorite you know we've had twiggy in the past the water skiing squirrel um, we have kids trout fishing we're always looking for different ways to make the show dynamic and it's hands-on and that's what where you get the value of your ticket because shoot you can't go anywhere anymore I mean, movies cost 25 dollars a ticket and you're just sitting in a chair the whole time you know with our ticket it's half that price you get to walk around with your family and kids get the you know the rv section of the show becomes a jungle gym I'm, the rv dealers would probably hate me saying that but at the end of the day, these kids just have this huge, massive building to just explore, let the imaginations go. And I can't, I mean, I'd be one, one number I'd always want to know, and I probably will never know, but it's how many kids got their first fishing pole at the show. Uh, oh, the wouldn't that be a cool lure. stat? And I know, and it's like, it would be such a great number because I know that number is crazy. And, uh, and then what does that stem from? I mean, we all know we, you're a hunter, fisherman like us, and the memories that you create from being in the outdoors are just unmatched. And I want to know how many of those journeys started while being at the show. Mitch Renfro, our guest, third generation leadership at Renfro Productions. We're going to talk about one of the things that you've been shepherding, which is the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo and some changes. But, you know, the fourth generation of Renfro Productions was just arrived in December. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you very much. Yep. She's Clark Maxine. Our middle name's after uh, her grandma, who, you know, ran the helm of the show for many years in a, what is a very male-dominated uh, kind of industry. And Maxine, my grandma, was a uh, – she was notorious for – you don't mess with Maxine. And so it's great <laughs> to know that her uh, her name's still going to be heard in the halls of the Indiana State Fairgrounds for many years to come. You know, we've been doing these Facebook Live uh, – Uh, podcast, whatever you want to call them. We've been broadcasting and creating institutional perspective with some of the seminar leaders and personalities that you do such a good job cultivating to come to these shows over the last five years. 
And we're going to be back out doing that. One of the best things that I've learned, one of the things that uh, most interesting things that I've learned is some of the vendors that are at have been sit, sitting with me in that chair have talked about this is my 30th this is my 35th year of coming to this show and I say well why is this show so important to you and I know the bottom line is is it helps them to draw business but I think even like during the downturns when people were were trying to figure out how to spend a dollar you know this show still brought people out who wanted to go and recreate in the outdoors and they just talk about fond memories of how well the Renfro family treated them and how appreciative they were that the effort to drive people into these shows made it worth their while to come 2,000 plus miles perhaps uh, to these shows. That is not ordinary in today's world where if it what have you done for me lately hasn't panned out you've got tremendous loyalty and people that come to these shows are there to buy book trips buy campers buy boats uh everything else in between that that's a testament to success yeah thanks i appreciate saying that and 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 you're right we do take you know pride in how we treat our exhibitors and our and our clients you know i mean that's been installed me since day one and that was installed my dad at day one and the way we look at things is you know we have people who have just a 10 by 10 space and then a person who has 160 by 80 square foot space and to us we treat all everyone the same i mean because at the end of the day if they're doing well at our show we're going to do just fine and that's kind of how we approach things when we market our show is we want these people to come in. We want them to thrive. We want to help their business. I can't tell you how many t- people have I've talked to who said, you know, they've been able to grow because of our show. And then and they're, you know, obviously very thankful for that. And, and in turn, it's one of those, when I hear that, that's where I get goosebumps because, I mean, I spend most of my nights thinking about the show. I mean, most of my time is thought about the show. And so we do care a lot about, you know, everything and the all-encompassing wheel that it is. It's like, you know, we want a lot of people to come to the show, but we need people who are interested in what our exhibitors have to offer. Absolutely. So it's that kind of niche marketing. And, and again, and kind of lasting on the exhibitors, there have been people with us for 30-plus years, and sometimes at the show it's like a family reunion. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I see um, that are clients, but – you give them a hug like their family when you get to see them once a year. Mitch Renfro is our guest. Real quickly, and I don't want to uh, underestimate this, Deer Tricky Waterfowl Expo is the second weekend, the show within a show, wildly popular. Tell me what changes people can expect uh, this year for the Deer Turkey Waterfowl. You know, changes-wise, we're still keeping to what people love. That's I think that's the most important thing. Where, and when I say that is it's about bringing out outfitters. It's about bringing out products for um, you know, that's new and great from uh, tech for bows to different. I, I've got a, several great like uh, outdoor clothing companies for all around gear. Uh, gear has been really popular this year. So there's a lot of gear in this show this year, which is fun. I and mean, that's what people want to come out and buy their stuff for the upcoming spring turkey season or the following, you know, fall, fall hunting season. Um, so we got a really great selection of exhibitors this year. It's, it's a really strong event. And uh, if anything, you know, changes wise, you know, our speakers this year are fantastic. We have a guy who's got a dog trained to hunt morel mushrooms. No, that dog's invaluable. That dog's invaluable. We've always wondered if it could be done. And this guy, I talked to him a lot on the phone and he says he's got it down and I can't wait to meet him and listen to his. Like, it's one of those things where. I'll be in the stage or in the stands watching this exhibit or this um, <laughs> this seminar because I can't wait to hear how he's done it. He uses labs and talk about a, a. I have no luck 
finding mushrooms. So if I can use my dog, that's going to be huge. Can you? <laughs> I wonder what Tom Nauman has to say, the Morel Maniac, one of my favorite guests, wildly popular at the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. But he, like you, uh, I'm interested to see what he says. I learn stuff every week on Indian Outdoors. I've been doing this show 25 years, and just like you said, I didn't know that that existed, but you bet. I'm coming to that event, and I'm going to be there, and that's what you guys do so well. Real quick, summarize dates and uh, how people can get their advanced tickets, and then know that we're going to continue to be previewing with uh, the featured speakers and seminar guests and personalities that are going to be out there so people have a taste of what's coming, but how can people get the nuts and bolts? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the best place to go is uh, IndieSportsShow.com. Um, that's going to get you to the Indianapolis Bow Sport and Travel Show page. And then you'll also be able to see links for the deer turkey waterfowl as well. Um, if you're looking for just a deer turkey waterfowl, that's just simply Indiana Deer, deer and Turkey Expo.com. Uh, show dates, you know, for the Bow Sport and Travel Show, we're going to kick off on February 16th. Um, run that Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then we close Monday, Tuesday, and then reopen on the 21st. To the 25th and then if you're just a deer turkey waterfowl uh guy we'll kick that show off on february 22nd to the 25th and again one ticket gets you in the both shows so if you're just coming for the deer turkey waterfowl and that's what you think you're just doing but you get there and you're like oh i want to go to the sports show too no worries the whole the buildings are connected you can go over there and uh, that's the great thing. The value of your ticket is you get two shows with one price. IndieSportsShow.com. Uh, that's what you need to know. Mitch, it's always yep. great to visit with you. Congratulations on your newest edition, the fourth generation. I know you've got so much free time right now to just stay at home and take care of that baby. And I'm joking. You know that I'm joking. Yeah. But I look forward to seeing you out there, my friend. It's always great to visit with you. And best of luck as you're in the final sprint to the line. Hey, thanks, Brian, for having me on. Always a pleasure, and look forward to it, man. Talk to you soon. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show, one of my favorite people. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I'm your host, Brian Pointer. Don't you think about going anywhere. We're back right after this. So good to be with you. It's so good to be anywhere. It is the Indian Outdoor Show as we click into 2024. Still hard to believe. The older I get, the quicker it goes. But Indiana Outdoors rolls on. Brought to you by Indiana Donor Network. Driven to save lives.org in year 25 of Indiana Outdoors. Hard to believe. So we're visiting with some of our regulars and friends of Indiana Outdoors. Thanks to Brent Wheat, editor of Guns Magazine. Andy Parrish Outdoors, one of my favorites here on the Indiana Outdoors. Andy, it's great to have you be a part of Indy as we are here in the first show of the new year. And you're one of my favorites because you you constantly have travel you're constantly out doing what you do you'd love to promote you love your youtubes you love to help educate and you just make a your vocation uh has now become the outdoors and i love that so much andy Parrish, great to have you be a part of it where you been what have you been doing and happy new year happy new year brian uh well excited uh, to start a new year lots of uh, new adventures on the horizon um right now we're trying to get booked uh trip back up to uh, the deep winter uh, boundary waters excursion. So we're trying to do a February hot tanning um, 
kind of camp out with a bunch of guys from oh all over kind of the Midwest. Um, but we did that last year and got down to negative 24 degrees. And I think we're going to try and set that new record this year. You know, just hover here for a minute. Just let's sound this out because it's actually very appealing to me. But somebody right now says, wait a minute, you're going up to the Boundary Waters in February. Last year was negative 24 in a tent. But I saw the pictures. You and I talked about this because if you're not familiar with what a hot tent is, you guys basically have set up your little cozy cabin in there. Now, it creates its own set of challenges. So explain why this is fun. At the same time, it requires a little different preparation. Well, it definitely does require different preparation, but it it is so much fun. Uh, You hike in typically in you know on snowshoes uh one of the guys last year had had a pair of uh, cross-country skis that he was using uh, we're carrying sleds dragging behind us with stoves uh you know to heat the tent to cook on all the different foods that we wanted to cook we ate so well um, we had so much fun you have to um, prepare for things though like getting water from beneath the ice so when we were out there on the lake last year, uh, we camped right on the side of the lake. The lake uh, was about 18 inches thick of ice, and you have to drill down or chip down to get to ice uh, to get to the water so that you could bring it back and boil it on the stove, put it into everybody's you know Stanley thermoses that will keep it from freezing overnight, that sort of thing. Um, collecting enough firewood the last five days, all of that fun stuff. Andy Parrish is our guest, and I love that. And I heard a rumor that you were planning this year to go to one of my favorite areas out on the western slope of the Rockies, somewhere in the Durango area. What are you going to do out there? Yeah, so there are a few of us. Um, I'm going with a couple guys uh, from the southeast that are going to fly out, um, and we're going to... Um, hike the last four sections of the Colorado Trail from Silverton all the way down to Durango. Um, we're trying to figure out logistics right now. There's a, a really cool um, train, actually, that runs from Durango to Silverton. We're trying to figure out how to incorporate taking the train maybe to start our hike, uh, take that up to Silverton, and then jump on the trail from there, hike back to our cars. That's about 70 miles or so of trail that we're going to be doing. Beautiful country. I've never been to that section of Colorado, but everybody that's been just raves about it. Well, I can tell you, you're going to have a trip of a lifetime because I've done that trip from Durango to Silverton on the train and a nice day prep, uh, maybe a couple of hikes in the Durango area. Then you jump on the train and it's truly one of a kind because you're there with passengers and kids and families who are on their way for the uh, the rail trip, uh, beautiful through the mountains along the rivers. It's breathtaking. And then all of a sudden it just goes and stops and a bunch of uh, vagabonds like us they throw your backpack out and you're now back in the backcountry and if you miss the train on the way back you're staying until the next one comes by that that <laughs> chicago basin area there's three 14ers back there that we went uh it was a pretty grueling hike mostly uphill to get up into the chicago basin but when you get up there you feel like you're in the alps you feel like you are nowhere in the united states it's just so gorgeous we had mountain goats literally in our camp every day trying to eat our trekking poles anything that had sweat or salt we had to protect because they would literally come (laughs) and i was uh, relieving myself shall we say in the morning one day and one of these goats came down from the mountain 
Uh, literally, I thought it was so far away. Next thing I know, he is standing on top of me about five feet away. And I'm like, dude, you take one more step. There's going to be trouble. And it's a, such a beautiful place. But I am so jealous for you. And I'm sure the logistics are going to work themselves out just fine. It, it, it's a little bit of a challenge, but we're really looking forward to it. I really enjoyed uh, reading the blogs that people had written. I had no idea that you can actually flag down the train if you were trying to take it back into town. So there's two different stops along that route. I was aware that you could get off the train, but there's actually a whole process for people that are through hiking that want to you know, take the train into Silverton, or maybe they're taking it back to Durango to flag the train down to stop it to get on. I just... Something about that sounds really cool. Well, Andy Parrish, it's always great to visit with you. And this is one of the reasons I love to have you on because you're a teacher as well. And you love, you've adopted the art of the social media through YouTube and Instagram and other things. And you're very much a proponent of getting people together with the different groups across the Midwest and around the country and, and do these trips, which have created some great friendships for you. So if people are interested in learning some of your YouTube stuff, where can they find it? Uh, they can find me on YouTube at Andy Parish Outdoors. Um, they can also follow me on Instagram as well uh, with the same handle. So I love it so much, and best of you, and best to you and your family in twenty four. And look like you kicked your New Year off with a great big old steak, and there's nothing better off like that. See, this is what I love about Instagram. I know what you eat. <laughs> well, uh, I'm trying to get fit for some of these big trips coming up, and part of it is eating right, and uh, uh, the steak last night was part of that. God love you. Hey, real quick, congratulations. For those that don't know, you were on the 25th, you were celebrated at the 25th anniversary of your 1998 national championship team at IU for soccer. It looked like you had a great group of friends back there, and what an honor, and congratulations. Yeah, thanks so much. It was really nice to get back with the boys and uh, get to go to a final for the NCAA this year down in Louisville uh, and go out at halftime with the gang and, and just uh, reminisce. Great to visit with you, my friend. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Brian. It is indeed. Uh, my pleasure to have Andy Parrish and all my guests throughout the years. It is the Indian Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer, back right after this. It is Indiana Outdoor Show. What a great one we've had so far. Many thanks to Mitch Renfro, third generation, talking about the boat, sport, and travel show coming up here and his uh, expertise of the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo is going to be first rate, as always. Love to hear the history of that great family and Renfro Productions. And he forgot to mention that coming up here uh, real soon, like, in the next week or two is the Cincinnati show. So if you want to go over there, if you're somewhere close, make sure you do it. Susie Jordan thanked as always for her work, Hoosiers feeding the hungry. But we in the state of Indiana, we have so much fun here because there's always something to talk about and a new state record fish just dropped. And this is like the second or third time this record has dropped. And I love these type of stories, and joining me is Ben Dickinson. It's nice to have you, a fisheries biologist here in the state of Indiana. Tell me about this. You're the uh, Lake Michigan fisheries research biologist up there, and I understand that uh, uh, there was a brand new burbot record. I didn't even know burbot existed until in Indiana until a while, so explain this whole process to me, and how has this record been set again? 
Yeah, Brian. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to talk about Lake Michigan fishing. Um, yeah, so burbot are, are native to uh, Lake Michigan. Uh, it's really the only place they are have historically been found in Indiana. Um, they're a freshwater cod, and uh, you know, typically in Lake Michigan, they're they're uh, uh, citizens of the deep. They they're out in a hundred plus feet of water, which is outside of Indiana's uh, you know jurisdictional waters. Uh, pretty much in Indiana, we only have waters seventy five feet or less. So. Burbot are typically outside of our state line out in Lake Michigan, uh, and they only come shallower uh, this time of year, uh, typically late November through early March when the water is cold. Um, they're pretty interesting because they spawn uh, in the wintertime, so uh, kind of like January and February. So uh, that's when guys are catching them in Indiana you know, this, this time of year. This record fish, uh, I was looking at your website uh, in excess of 14 pounds, 30, over 37 inches. This thing is a hog. Of epic, <laughs> yeah. When I, when, epic when the angler brought it in, I, I was like, wow, that's, you know, that's a big bourbon. That's the biggest one I've ever seen in person. So, and uh, I understand it, the old record. it smashed the old records by some three pounds. And that record was broken in the last year, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, uh. It's, I think this is the third time uh, in, in basically just over a year. Um, and, and one of the guys that broke it, he actually caught two over the old record in the same day. So, well, uh, I, yeah, a lot of, lot of record-breaking happening. I love it. And, you know, I've heard of burbot uh, in, you know, you watch these Alaska fishing shows, and I know it's a staple out there, but it's not a common thing for all the reasons that you just described, but they are darn good eating fish. I've had them before. It's kind of a cod consistency, as you said, and it's a real mild white fish, but that's going to put a lot of meat on that guy's table. Yeah, he was, uh, I told him, uh, he ought to uh, consider eating it if, uh, you know, and I think he was going to get it mounted. So, uh, he was going to try to have his cake and eat it too, I guess. I, I would as well. So let's talk in general, switch gears here. Glad that that record falls and I'm always looking to promote when that happens. And you obviously as Lake Michigan fisheries biologist, such an important resource. What is the state and quality of the fishery up there? Yeah. Um, well, it's been pretty good. Um, as you know, probably a lot of folks know, it's been up and down in the last decade or so with a lot of ecosystem changes, stocking cuts, stocking increases. Uh, but it feels like we've been in a pretty good place the last few years. Um, you know, naturally we have some variation just when, you know, environmental conditions and like salmon run, uh, strength because of, you know, precipitation or water temps, that sort of stuff. But, uh, had a really good, uh, coho year this year for um, for boat anglers and shore anglers uh, in the spring and the summer. Um, Skamania fishing, Skamania steelhead, uh, kind of a down year this year, but uh, last several years it's been real strong. Um, Chinook run was fantastic um, in the year before. Uh, this year it was just kind of average. Um, I, I would look for uh, a pretty good uh Chinook fishery and coho fishery uh, coming up this spring, though. Boy, I know the Ben Dickinson is Lake Fisheries fisheries biologist, and talking to the charboat captains up there, they've enjoyed a great run here over the last 
five years of, you know, you hear limits just kind of jumping in the coolers and we've had milder winters. So the opportunity for anglers to get out sooner, et cetera, maybe that's the reason this burbot thing has, has risen in the last year and a half is that you've got some warmer waters and people are closer. And, you know, for all the spawning reasons you said, who knows? The bottom line is it's never been as good as it has been in the last five years and maybe not historically, but I'm just saying it's been really darn good fishing up there. It has. Yeah. And actually, um, you know, my, uh, I would, I would, you know, uh, call it my modern, uh, creel survey data, uh, going back to 2000, basically this century last year was the best coho catch rate this century. So, uh, yeah, it's been pretty darn good. I mean, maybe not like it was in the heyday of the seventies or eighties or something, but, uh, pretty darn good. All right. So when you're not doing this and talking on Indian outdoors, what are some of the things you're working on during the winter time as this important fishery resource biologist? What are you doing? That's a great question. Uh, we do a fair amount of uh, outreach like this. So we go around and, and talking to um, angler groups, uh, sharing some you know recent findings. Uh, we're having uh, cooperative research meetings with our counterparts in other states and federal agencies, um, sharing data discussing research priorities, uh, crunching numbers, writing reports, that sort of thing. Uh, we're doing uh, lots of data analysis and cleanup, just making sure everything we collected in the prior year is, um, you know, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, um, aging fish, that sort of stuff. You know, you say it just like it's everyday work. People, I'm fascinated by it. But it sounds to me like you do what everybody else does, paperwork and cleanup in the slower periods of time, but so important as a biologist because you have to make decisions off good metrics, right? So you need the data. Yep. Yep. And, you know, I, and don't get me wrong, I love my job. I think it's a cool job. Uh, but, but it is when people say, oh, you have a cool job, you know, like probably 80% of it is sitting behind a computer doing emails and data sheets and, you know, sometimes some routine administrative stuff. But, but you're very right. Uh, we got to make sure that the data is good because uh, without good data, you know, they say garbage in, garbage out. Well, we know you're doing such a good job. Did you ever grow up and think this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life? Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really think about that too much, but everybody around me always said from like when I was 10 years old, I'd end up working for the DNR. So, uh, well, I guess people well. had me pretty pegged. Well, they know you well. Best of luck to you. We look forward to, it's going to be real soon. Cause last year they started putting boats out there for coho in March when the ice moved away and the fo- the fish are up close and all the fishermen. And I'm going to be visiting with some of our charter boat captains soon. And I'm sure they're going to be out there as soon as possible. So thanks for being a part of it and stay in touch with us will you yep will do thanks brian nice to talk to you it is the indiana outdoor show i am your host brian pointer we're brought to you by indiana donor network driven to save lives.org buy your when you buy your hunting and fishing license sign up to be that organ and tissue donor don't go anywhere we're going to be back right after this Oh, I learn something every week on Indian Outdoors. That's a lot of learning over 25 years, (laughs) but it is my thrill and privilege to do that. It is Indiana Outdoors. I'm your host, Brian Pointer, and 
And I, did you know what a burbot was before we started talking about this a year ago? Here I see them on Alaska shows, and you're always living off of burbot and ice fishing. They live way down deep in Lake Michigan, and we've had some phenomenon that have brought them closer to shore. So the burbot record has fallen three times. I did not realize that we even had them here, so I enjoy talking about that. And I saw a picture of this dude. It's a whale. Uh, 38 pounds, or no, 14 pounds from 38 inches. That is a lot of really good fish. But as a fisheries biologist, you heard him say, no better time than to get up to Lake Michigan. And the coho are going to start running sooner than later. Last year, I think the first boats went out in March once the ice left, uh, pushed offshore, and the cohos were jumping in the coolers. So, uh, you know, the Farmers Feeding the Hungry program, Susie doing a great job expanding that. And it's not just the deer and the venison, but it's the generosity of all Hoosiers, uh, pork donations, other things. Uh, Get in touch with Hoosiers Feeding the Hungry. Uh, Maybe you can find a way to help in some fashion. You know, the idea of the Boat Sport and Travel Show being really around the corner uh, less than a month now is exciting to me because it brings back so many memories we're going to be out there both weekends doing some broadcasting in the main travel and tourism area Uh, we've got a nice little stage set up who only knows he always throws something different unique and interesting in so at least that's what I'm aware of but it could always change and guests like we had last weekend uh, are going to be with us regularly going forward. So last week we had Mike Delvisco and Joe Thomas, two of the hardest working guys. Much more to come. Folks, we are brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Remember, turn in a poacher, 1 800 tip INR. I know it's cold, but get out and enjoy the great Indiana outdoors. See you next week, everybody. a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor come to mcdonald's and treat yourself to the grandma mcflurry today and participating mcdonald's for a limited time